Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Well, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, I'm going to read verses 17 through 38, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Acts chapter 20, picking up at verse 17. From Miletus we sent to Ephesus, and he sent to Ephesus, and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. I want to say a few words about this text. One of the commitments that we have as a church is about shepherding and pastoral care. It's uh, commitment number eight, if you go to our list of commitments. And I want to read that because 
there are elements of what I just read about Paul's ministry in Ephesus that uh, echo and reverberate in our commitment. It says this, faithful shepherds, faithful, fa- excuse me, faithful pastors and shepherds are not defined by their Sunday morning sermon, but by their 24-7 faithful care for the sheep God has given them charge over. Biblical churches are not preaching points but households of faith. And the fathers of the household serve the family as spiritual fathers. Thus, pastors must have constant interaction with the souls in their flock. Pastors will soon give an account to God for their care for those for whom Christ died. And such care must spring from an intimate knowledge of church members, applying God's word to specific individuals by teaching, exhorting, and encouraging them from house to house, day and night, with tears. Now, that's the task of not just the pastors, but of the elders as well, Um, with certain differences between the two modes of the one office. But that encapsulates our goal, right? We fail at it. We fail at uh, sometimes at the tears, sometimes at the house-to-house, sometimes at the 24-7 aspect of it. Um, but this is our goal in the ministry here and in the, the shepherding of this flock here. That is our goal. And, and the Apostle Paul, um, I mean, we can only have, I think, one better example of shepherding than the Apostle Paul, and that would be the Lord Jesus himself, um, who did not sin and did not err and shepherded all the time rightly and asked the perfect questions in order to minister to those he ministered to. But then the Apostle Paul, um, imitating Jesus, comes along and gives us a, an incredibly blessed example. Uh, the, po- the Apostle Paul was a father to the flocks that he served in. Um, we see that in his care for the church of Ephesus, the passage I just read, and he says so directly in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Right? Be imitators. He's imitating Christ, and he's exhorting all the flock there to imitate him. Now, that's a if you've ever asked somebody to imitate you, that's a pretty scary thing to ask somebody to do. And yet his conscience is clear in that he's asking them to imitate him. Now think about that. Take maybe the last couple of days and, uh, and, and go over the balance of your days and think through, if I had told somebody to imitate me, would they have imitated righteousness or unrighteousness? or a mixture of both, or predominantly, righteous, or predominantly unrighteousness. How would, it, how would it look? Well, he's saying, I exhort you. He's exhorting them to be imitators of me. That, um, in fact, as I think about it, that might be a very good definition of fatherhood. Being able to say, imitate me. <laughs> right? Being able to say, imitate me. And it's meaning that you're imitating Christ and you're giving that example forward to somebody else and they can see it 
and respond to it. Um, giving a pattern of godliness that can be seen and followed. Um, in fact, that is, that is what Paul, the apostle, tells Timothy to do as well. Remember what he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. You're to be set forward as an example. You're to, you're to show forth the faith. Um, back in Acts 20, Paul says to the elders, those marked out for fatherhood in the church, he says in Acts 20.35, in everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak, right? I've show, I showed you, I exampled these things before you. Um, in faith. And we all, as we do our quick self-examination, sort of tremble and, uh, and think through how our example has been a mixture of good and bad. Now, what did Paul show them? What did the Apostle Paul show to this church in Ephesus? Well, verses 18 and 19 says, and when he... When they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. And so, what did he show them there? Well, he showed them that when adversity came, he continued to serve God. When, when the trials came along, when he had reasons perhaps to flee, he continued to serve God. When adversity comes, what is the temptation? What are your temptations when adversity comes? Run for the hills, right? To get out of Dodge, to, to disengage from the work, to say it's not worth the cost, right? This adversity, these plots of the Jews, the Jews are trying to kill him. Right? They're trying to stone him to death. And yet there he, he goes, going on, staying among the Ephesians. Verses 20 to 21. He says, well, picking up at the end, and, well, it's all one long Pauline sentence. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So when opposition came, he did not compromise. Right? He didn't compromise. He, he continued to do what? He continued to go from house to house, preaching repentance. Right? Not touchy-feely stuff, but repentance and faith in God. Faith in Jesus Christ. So opposition comes and he doesn't change his message. That would be the temptation, right? When you have opposition in the house of God or opposition from without is to, um, to water down, to compromise, to cast a longing eye to the world and to change the content of your preaching. Um, to become a man pleaser, right? But he, he preaches, he's faithful to God. He's a God pleaser. Um, he did not change his views to remain respectable. Um, jumping down a few verses, it says Paul did not shrink. <laughs> he did not shrink back. 
Uh, verse 21, when adversity came, or when diversity came, when diversity came, Jews and Gentiles. Now, that was a, that was a difficult issue for the early church, right? How do, we, how do we come together as Jews and Gentiles? How do, we, how do we as Gentiles respect some of the things that the Jews think are important to their faith in Christ? And that's why we, in Acts 15, we get the council that says, look, Gentiles, you know, don't eat meat with the blood. And we're like, wait, I thought that was gone, done away with in Christ. Well, it's not if you want to love Jews, right? If you want to be constituted in one body, this is how you have to live together. And so when that diversity came, um, he, again, did not water down. He preaches Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. How are you going to be saved? Faith in Jesus Christ, one thing. Um, uh, When diversity comes, what's the temptation? When diversity comes, the temptation is what is laid out in the book of James, right? The rich man comes among you and you put him in the seat of honor and you take care of his needs and then the poor man comes in and he's neglected, right? So so that, um, that kind of... Uh, showing favor uh, can exist among the church. And Paul, though called to serve the Gentiles, did not neglect the Jews when he went. Um, same, same message to Jews and Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, another thing we learn. When dangers came, he did not protect his life in opposition to the will of God. Verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Now, again, what is the temptation when when these kinds of dangers arise? It is self-preservation. Self-preservation is what we want to do. We we consider ourselves so precious that we would forsake a calling from God in order to preserve our lives. That's what Paul wouldn't do. In fact, he did not consider his life precious. He was willing to give that up because he had a calling that superseded the preciousness of his own self-preservation, right? the preciousness of his own life. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. I mean, how many of us can say that? How many of us can, can come close to, to saying something like that and mean it? Um, isn't, the, isn't it the case that our life becomes too important for anything at times, too dear, right? What sacrifices will we not make even though the Lord calls us to that sort of ministry? Um, <clears throat> A dear, uh, a dear friend of mine was, was sending me some encouragement a few weeks ago. Um, a good friend that I, I've talked to, and he, he knows the, the anxiety I was feeling and uh, tiredness, and he sent me a couple of quotes from uh, Spurgeon that encapsulate what Paul is saying here of not considering your life precious. Um, and Spurgeon was a sick, sickly sort of dude. Um, he, he had to 
he had to take sabbaticals every year. So, uh, and yet worked without pause when he wasn't on sabbatical. And, and so he didn't consider his life dear. And, and listen to what he says. I am sorry to say that I am made of such ill stuff that my Lord has chosen, has, has to chasten me often and sorely. I am like a quill pen that will not write unless it be often nibbed. And therefore I have felt the sharp knife many times. And yet I shall not regret my pains and crosses so long as my Lord will write with me in men's hearts. That is the cause of many ministers' affliction. They are necessary to our work. And then this, he says, we can only produce life in others by the wear and tear of our own being. This is a natural and spiritual law that fruit can only come of the seed by its spending and being spent, even to self-exhaustion. Why are so many ministers worn and weary till heart and brain give way? They would be of little use if they did not run such a risk. All men who are eminently useful are made to feel their weakness in a supreme degree. Right? I mean, that, that's clearly a man who understands that his calling is more precious to him than even his own life. He's willing to sacrifice his body and his mind in order to serve God. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul, uh, the grace that Jesus gave the Apostle Paul uh, in verse 24. Um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you know Solzhenitsyn, he wrote the uh, Gulag and uh, was, is famous for exposing the evils of socialism. He said... He said every, and he spent time in suffering greatly for this. He said, every man has handy a dozen glib little reasons why he is right not to sacrifice himself. Every man has a dozen little tiny reasons why he shouldn't give himself over fully to the ministry of the Lord. Um, next, verses 28 through 31. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's speaking to the elders in the church of Ephesus. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And so when Paul's departure arrives, he leaves his task and his calling to other men. He's delegating, he's in a sense ordaining these men, he's delegating this authority to them, and then they would have to, to, um, to take up his task, right? A task that takes great zeal. He's just talked about how much zeal it takes, and they're to take it up. Now, what were the tasks? Be on guard. I mean, the temptation would be for these men to say, it's too much, it's not my problem. I, you know, I'm just... Paul's going, maybe we can chill out for a while, you know, and just relax. Um, but, but he tells them, be on guard for two things. What two things does he tell them be on guard for? Yourselves and the flock. So watch yourself, be scrupulous with yourself, examine yourself and all the flock. And then he says, shepherd the church, which he, he purchased with his own blood. Right? He's saying these are blood-bought brothers and sisters 
shepherd them faithfully. And then be ready for wolves. Um, Wolves from among even your own selves will arise. And so he says, be ready for that. Don't be naive. Don't be... Um, don't think that we'll, that don't think that there aren't impurities within. And then be on the alert. How alert? Well, Paul says that he was on alert night and day for three years. He did not cease to admonish each one with tears. That's a lot of descriptors there, right? Night and day, three years, without ceasing, admonishing. With tears, each one, right? So everyone, each one, all the time, day and night, admonishing three full years. And so that is how they are to be on alert. Perhaps it's going to be, hey, perhaps that's a, a, um, a good reason for three-year term limits. No, I don't believe that. Um. But three years of that kind of work is exhausting, right? Three years of that kind of work uh, takes a toll. Uh, Verse 32, he blesses the congregation. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He blesses them. The temptation would be to... Um, If you're a cynic, the temptation is to go out and say, I don't know, guys, if you can, if you can do this, you know, the big dogs leaving and, and, um, and and the little guys are left behind. Are they going to be able to do this? And yet he, he has faith in God. He knows that it, it will be God that's at work in this flock, through these men. And so he blesses them. He gives them that blessing. And then in 33 to 34, when Paul had personal needs, he made ends meet. He made his own ends meet. I have coveted no one silver, gold, or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. Um, The temptation would be for him to be a modern evangelical and to covet men's silver and gold. And... um, and to think of church only in the sense of church growth, as far as numbers and increasing ties, right? That's the sign of success in today's evangelical churches, and we know that that's not success at all um, if you're not making disciples who are following Jesus Christ. So when Paul had personal needs, he made sure that he made he worked with his hands, and then verse thirty-five. He says, in everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So all of it is to show you must help the weak and remember it is more blessed to give than to receive. The temptation that arises when you are an elder, a pastor, a servant in the church, is that this is about me. Gimme, 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 gimme. Right? This is about me. This is about... um, This is my ministry. Right? We say this is my ministry, my church. This is um, my small group. And really, 
it's the Lord's, and we've been given stewardship of these things. And indeed, it's more blessed to give than to receive, to give than to get accolades. Um, This is not about me, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. He received much suffering, right? Paul suffered for his ministry. We have that list. He received much suffering. God told him at the beginning that he was going to show him how much he must suffer. And yet, he left blessings everywhere he went. He suffered so that others might have blessings. He was pounded down so that others might be raised up, right? Just like Jesus, right? He suffered for our iniquities. And we get the forgiveness of sins. We get all the blessings, right? And so Paul was imitating Christ and showing an example of Jesus Christ to the flock here. As a father to that flock and as an example to the elders who would continue the work, he showed himself an example. He served God unflinchingly. He did not compromise. He did not water down. He did not consider his life as too precious. He delegated. He blessed. He worked hard. He embodied Jesus' statement. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we see all of that right here in this one passage. And it is a high standard, right? It's a high holy standard. It's the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we praise God when we see this standard example in other men and women and children uh, in the congregation. Now, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we read this this passage and Paul's words to the the Ephesian elders. Oh, Father, we pray that we might learn to die to self as Paul did, as we saw in our Lord, and that we would put others above ourselves, put their needs above our own. Oh, God, forgive us for our self-centeredness. Forgive us for being man-pleasers. Forgive us for Um, being afraid and shrinking back. Lord, I pray that we would not do so in increasing measure, that we would walk according to the example that we had in the Apostle Paul as he imitated your son Jesus. Oh God, we pray that you would bless this church and all of us individually. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.